Good morning, my name is Izzy Jones. Today's reading is from Matthew 5, 17-18, John 8, 53-58, and Colossians 1, 15-17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, till heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. The Jewish leader asked, Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Good morning. Uh, years ago, a woman came up to me on a, on a Sunday morning and asked me, why I talk so much about Jesus. And her follow-up question was, why don't you talk more about marriage? I mean, she had some struggles there. And my answer to her was that Jesus is bigger. He's bigger than your marriage. And uh, we need to know that. And he's bigger than whatever our struggles are. And uh, we want to focus on, on him. Because of that, so a, a constant temptation, though, of uh, the church and, and throughout history, including his first followers, is that we we want to make Jesus smaller. We want to reduce him down into categories that we can understand. And uh, it took the church, the early church, about thirty years. At least we have statements at that time from the gospel writers, but more importantly from um, Paul. And in Colossians, we have one of those statements that Jesus Christ was the firstborn of all creation and that everything was created by him and for him. So this person, this, this person that came down to earth for 33 years was actually there before creation and at creation and we are created by him and through him. So it's, it's an amazing statement. And John takes that even further. He's writing 30 years after Paul in, when he writes Revelation. And he says that not only is Jesus the Alpha, the beginning, but he's also the Omega, the end. So he's huge. We don't have words that are big enough to describe who Jesus Christ is. Uh, 
his first followers, they were so close to him, the, the, the 12 disciples. It's kind of like they were at uh, Camp Mirror at 10,000 feet on Mount Rainier, and you really can't see how big the mountain is from there. You have to step back from it. And uh, eventually, with time, they were able to do that. But it's, it, it, he is so big. So he's big enough to, two weeks ago, we talked about the hardest thing, or one of the hardest things that Jesus said, was that you must take up your cross and deny yourself and die to yourself, or you can't follow me. And then last week, we looked at the next passage of Scripture from Luke 15, where it paints a picture of God, this gracious God who's running out and embracing the prodigal son. And so we have the hardest thing that Jesus says right next to the most gracious gracious picture that Jesus paints of God. And he's, you've got to be big to hold all that stuff together. And this is who God is. He is the main thing. And so this is my final uh, series here is called The Main Thing. And uh, when we put Jesus Christ first, things flow from him. We understand everything in light of him. And that is such an important uh, truth in life. And so I'll start with this from Colossians, that passage that was read. It says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God image there, the word is, in the Greek, is icon. And I don't think I have to translate that. I'll, I'll put some icons up on the screen for you now that might help you um, refresh your mind of what an icon is. And, it, and it, it's something that represents it. it when, you, when you hit that icon, you have access to whatever that is. And this is who Jesus is. He, when we see Jesus, we can see what God is like. Uh, he's, an, he's the icon of God. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to look first at the uh, how, how we've made Jesus into our icon. Uh, Jesus is an icon like us. Secondly, we're going to look at uh, Jesus as the icon of God. And then we'll ask the, the so what question. So Jesus as uh, our icon. Well, uh, he, we have this, like I said, we have this temptation to reduce him down and and to want something from him to fit our categories. Eugene Peterson has this haunting quote that I've used before, is that most people, not all, but most people want, they don't want God, they want something from God. And you see this tendency in the Gospels as Jesus is is walking around and people come up to him and they want something from him and Jesus won't give them what they want if it's not according to his kingdom and according to why he came to the to this world. So Nicodemus would be one, the rich young ruler would be another. People that walk away from him feeling greatly disappointed, maybe disillusioned. He didn't give them what they wanted. People want a piece of Jesus. They want to be validated by Jesus. They want Jesus to be part of their story, but not big, not Alpha Omega big. And so we have in our world a lot of isms. We have belief systems. People believe in these isms. And I'll just run through a few of them. We have economic isms. We have capitalism, Marxism, socialism. We have political isms, conservatism, and liberalism. And then we have things like pacifism and militarism. And there's many, many other isms, belief systems and movements throughout history that have uh, drawn people to them. 
And every one of these isms has blood on its hands, except maybe pacifism, I'll grant that. And all of them are temporary. Here's the good news, folks. There are no isms in eternity. Zero. There's just one main thing, Jesus Christ. And all of these isms are, they they have blood on their hands. And when you think about Jesus having blood on his hands, it's a whole different kind of deal. He died for us. And he's not temporary. He's forever. So uh, my own life story, I've tried to bring that in. I'm trying to bring that in in this series. I'd rather talk about Jesus, quite frankly. But when I was in my early 20s and my, my college years, I was on an extreme liberal, I think. And at least I, my parents, I think I drove my parents crazy. Voted for George McGovern in 1972, my first time to vote. And uh, I bought into a lot of the stuff on the left. And then in the years right after that, in those three years I mentioned last week, I became extremely conservative. And uh, my parents were watching me swing back and forth. You know, balance is that little town you go through uh, when you're going from one extreme to the other. And I had a really hard time spending time there in that little town. And... uh, The thing that I knew, though, is that when I came to the person of Jesus Christ, I knew this intuitively. I don't know if that is the Holy Spirit, but I just knew that whatever isms I had in me that were going to have to get flushed out, that I can't bring something to Jesus and say, Jesus, fit into this, whatever it is. And uh, I found that to be a process in my life that I've had to go through to let go of things that I once held on to in favor of just holding on to Christ. So that's my story. And, uh, and I think that it illustrates uh, this tendency in us to want to make Jesus into an icon uh, for our lives instead of the icon of God. So let's go to the icon of God. And um, we, can, we can see that I'll, I'll illustrate this with a thing I discovered in my in my doctoral work, which is which is about men and what's the essence of masculinity, and uh, reading a lot of different views on that, and I found two things that I remember well. One is that you had people who uh, wanted again wanted to get Jesus on their side of their definition of masculinity, and one definition would be more towards the Mister Rogers view of Jesus that he was uh, that he was always. Tolerant and and he was nice and he was soft. And the other side was the extreme of Jesus being this tough, um, hardened male and he, uh, a man's man and he could do anything and all that stuff. And of course, the truth is that he's bigger than either one, right? That's what I'm trying to get at here is he doesn't fit nicely into either of those categories. So the God of the Old Testament, let's just take this as one way of getting at who Jesus is, because one of the things you'll hear people say, and I'll just be honest, as I come to this phase of my life and the voice that I get to have is it drives me nuts to hear people say, I I really like Jesus, but I, I, I don't have a place for the God of the Old Testament. 
it just doesn't make any sense. I want to try to go through that with you. Maybe you have that view. I hope I don't offend you, but you're absolutely wrong. Uh, Jesus says here, and we see it in Matthew 5, 17, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, meaning the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it, I, to fulfill them. Uh, I am basically, Jesus is saying, I am the one from God who fulfills what is written in the Old Testament. He is the Messiah. And uh, Jesus loved the Old Testament. He quoted it often. You can tell, you can just tell how much he loved it, how much he immersed himself in it. He gave it authority. It had authority over him. And when he spoke of it, he spoke of it as something that has great authority over all. This Jesus was a person of the Old Testament. And he did correct people when they were misinterpreting it. And that's, that got him into big trouble. But we can trust Jesus when he interprets the Old Testament for us. And John, the apostle, takes this up a notch in, in his uh, understanding of who Jesus is and the, the grandeur uh, of Jesus Christ. In John, the, the passage that was read, John 8, at the end, uh, verse 59, Jesus says, I, before Abraham was, before Abraham was, that would have been 2,000 years before Jesus came on the planet, I am. And Jesus is borrowing language from the Old Testament to say that he is God or he identifies with God in such an intimate way that he can use that language. And you, you know that that's what they heard. The, the, the Jewish leaders, when they heard that, they picked up stones to try to kill him because that's called blasphemy when you make yourself out to be God. So what, what is John doing? Well, John is saying that Jesus is in a category by himself that we as human beings can't quite grasp and that he is the eternal Son of God. So not, is he, not only is he a Messiah who would be this human figure sent from God to set things right, he is the eternal Son of God who we can't locate the beginning on a human timeline. Man, that's, that's big. So uh, as we, the, the point of this is, is, is to try to flush out this idea that Jesus wasn't the Old Testament God or, or closely identified with the Old Testament God. And one more voice on that. Jewish scholars, now remember, a Jewish scholar would be someone who doesn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They have no place in their Bible for the New Testament that we have, but they do have the same Old Testament we have. And when they study that Old Testament, and this would be true of believing Jews in general, they see a God not of wrath and of judgment, that, which is the tendency we have uh, as we think about the Old Testament. They see a God of love. Yes, he is a mystery at times, but he is essentially a God of love. And that's, that's, their old, that's, that's the Old Testament. Uh, I think that tells us something, that we are not reading the Old Testament the way Jesus did when we see God simply as a judge and a God of wrath. And maybe we're not reading Jesus correctly either. Maybe we're reducing Jesus down into something that's way too small. 
And in this Old Testament, we find this loving God. And he's, this would be to counterbalance the other view of masculinity. This loving God who is like a mother. And how could a mother forget the baby at her breast? And God says, no, even if she did, I will not forget you. He is as loving, more loving than a mother or a father. He is so gracious. And you find that language of love and grace throughout the Old Testament. And yes, there are places that we shake our heads and we don't understand. He is a mystery. We don't get it all. But he is good. And we can say that. And Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. Uh, Just see him there. Go with him there. Well, is he nice? Is he tolerant? Uh, The word nice is not found in the Bible. What we find instead is that he is gracious and he is kind and he is merciful. And we don't find the word tolerant either. We find the word patient and you shouldn't confuse tolerance and patience. He's patiently waiting for his people to grow into his will for them. He's not putting up with. Would you rather be loved or put up with? Patience and grace are the language of love, the vocabulary of love, and part of that in the Bible. I would much rather be loved than tolerated. If I were to say to my wife, oh, honey, I tolerate you. Not quite the same. Well, uh, in, in uh, in John's gospel... He says that Jesus Christ is big enough to hold together both truth and grace. And those are two very different concepts, the hard truth and the warm grace. They come together in the person of Jesus Christ. In the Narnia stories, we have this this little uh, vignette where one of the Children asks one of the characters about Aslan, this this great lion they've heard about. And she asks, is he safe? And the reply is, no, he's not safe, but he's good. And we we can see that Jesus Christ is, is that kind of figure who can not be safe, but he can still be good. And the good is what really comes through. He's big enough. He's big enough and he can hold all things together. So what's the so what here? And before we go to the so what, I I just want to give you one more illustration that will amplify it. And that is that Jesus Christ, speaking of lions, and Aslan was the great lion in Narnia, but Jesus Christ is called the Lion of Judah. It's a powerful image of Jesus Christ as this lion. Uh, It's beautiful. But John in the book of Revelation says that he is the, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Before creation, the lamb was slain. What does that mean? It means that that it was in God's plan to show his sacrificial love to uh, it's baked into the creation formula that he was going to show his sacrificial love to us. That's how much he loves us. But it takes a big God to be a lion and a lamb 
And he is bigger than those categories. So you have all these different images of God. So there's there's the, I, j- I just want to get that firmly in, in our minds, that he is big enough. And we need a big enough God to hold things together. Paul says that he holds all things together. He is big enough to hold together a world that is in the midst of a pandemic. Hear that. He, he is big enough to hold that world together. He is big enough to hold together the injustice in our society with the promises that he has made for his kingdom and that those kingdom promises can be accessed now as we pray that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is big enough to hold that together. He is big enough to hold together a marriage that is falling apart or a family that is falling apart. He is big enough for that. And hear this and hear this well. He is big enough to hold you and I together when, with all of our anxieties and all of our stuff. He is big enough to hold us together. Jesus Christ, the icon of God. What I'd like to do right now is lead us through a prayer that I'm going to put up on the screen for you. And I'd like you to pray it wherever you are. Uh, It'd be best if you did it out loud. I'll do that with you. So let's go there now. Jesus, you are the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By you and for you, all things were created, including me. You hold all things together. Hold our world together now. Hold me together. Hold my family together. And let me add, Lord, uh, hold our hearts together, our interior, our That part of us, Lord, that is constantly in fragments, hold us together. And Lord, may we know your loving arms. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.